Hey, we're talking demon possession, church discipline, and do I have to trust uh, that person again, even if I've forgiven them? Don't miss this episode of Ask. Welcome once again, I'm Pastor Jamie, and welcome to Ask, where you give us questions and I do my best to answer them. There's going to be questions about life or your faith or your family or the Bible, anything else that you have. We need your questions, to go to corner, so go to cornerstonebv.org, click media, then ask. Leave your question in the drop-down menu. All right, let's get into our questions for this week without further ado. Is demon possession as prevalent now as it was in biblical times? How is it to be identified? Okay, well, that's kind of difficult, I think, to answer precisely. We don't have any way of analyzing um, what time period has the most demonic activity. However, there are some clues we can follow. First, we know demons ultimately want to rob God of his glory. So therefore, they want to grieve him by hurting us, those he loves and made in, and made in his image. So they mainly do this to get us to stay away from our true purpose, following the will of God, right? So whenever or wherever God's plan is being carried out, right, his gospel work is being prioritized, Satan activity will increase. That's why you saw so much of it when Jesus was around. Right? Team Satan was uh, implementing a full court press to try to distract and destroy the ministry of Jesus. They failed and will always fail ultimately, but they keep on trying. So to answer your question, it seems that like two main factors tend to cause an increase in, in demonic activity in general. Number one, when and where gospel work is being done. And number two, places where the church is not the strongest because the Holy Spirit is not as present because he's with the Christians. This is why we've tradi traditionally heard of many missionaries kind of seeing crazy demonic activity in places like Africa or India. The church was less prevalent there and the gospel work was being carried out, but it's also why we are seeing an increase of it in the West today. We are now a mission field ourselves and people are far more interested in the occult practices than ever before. And so there you go, we're gonna see it. So what does it look like? Well, don't pigeonhole satanic activity. Look to the Bible to see the many ways he will distract, tempt, and harass us uh, with the intent of ultimately keeping us from carrying out our Christ-centered purpose and seeking to rob God uh, of getting the glory of our lives. He'll do all kinds of different things to harass and hurt us in that. Second question, after forgiving someone, is it okay not to trust that person? Well, yes, it's perfectly okay because they're, they're two vastly different things. See, when we have unforgiveness towards someone, we're still angry, right? We're holding a sinful attitude towards them. This is wrong. We need to find our way to recognizing that a person has wronged us, but we're gonna, uh, not going to stay angry with them um, and, and, and hold them accountable for that sin. We seek to treat others as God has treated us in Christ. However, trust is a very different issue. Let's imagine I allow you to be alone in my house twice in the past, right? Both times, I end up finding something valuable missing. And after pursuing the matter, it came to light that you stole these items. So maybe after the first time, I would just trust you a little bit and not do it again, right? But after two, sorry, you're not going to be allowed alone in my house again, or at least for a long while. Does that mean I cannot forgive you? No, I do need to forgive you and to not be angry and hold it against you uh, and let it go, give you grace and mercy that God gave me, but let you house it? Nope, that is not gonna happen. That would be a lack of wisdom on my part as that's a natural consequences of our sin sometimes. So not be trusted. All right, last one. Do you support the instruction of church discipline in the whole ch chapter of 1 Corinthians 5 for anyone 
uh, bearing, the na- bearing the name of Christ, who is continuing on in sexual immor- immorality, greed, and idolatry. Does pornography get included? I personally, says the questioner, uh, believe this practice is so incredibly loving and that if I had been disciplined by my pastor in church who knew of my sexual immorality, that I would have feared God and repented a lot sooner and spared my sinful influence on the body as well. Um, Well, the two main biblical references that guide us with church discipline are 1 Corinthians 5, as you mentioned, and Matthew chapter 18. In that latter passage, Jesus laid out a beautiful uh, plan to restore someone from an ongoing, unrepentant sin. That, of course, is the key to all of it. Not that someone sinned and repented, uh, even if they have done so multiple times and it's a struggle in their life. The process that we're talking about is for a person who refuses to give up the sin even though he or she is confronted. Jesus tells us to go to the person who has wronged you and take another uh, Christian and, and, and then, if that doesn't work, take the elders of your church and get them involved. If someone still refuses, then take action. 1 Corinthians 5 is all about a very specific situation. So please keep in mind the action, whether it's public or private, is what drives the response, public or private. In this case, this is a very public sin taking place uh, and the man was refusing to repent and leave the situation. So after being warned, the church was told by Paul to treat him as an unbeliever and therefore no longer become, be a member of the church. Now, does this mean we know he, he, he's not really a Christian? Well, we cannot ever really know that, right? That's between God and someone's heart. But we do uh, need to treat people based on their ongoing actions. And Paul would say that anyone who is publicly living like an unbeliever without acknowledging it is wrong and doing something to fix it, well, he needs to be treated how he's and acting, an unbeliever. Now, the goal for all of this is not eternal judgment, but instead for restoration. We want to win the person to the truth. Okay, so, as to your question about pornography, if the issue has been made public and a member of the church is refusing to admit the sin and seek to kill it, then discipline action must be taken. However, if it's an ongoing struggle, and a believer keeps confessing and repenting and is trying to do the right thing, that would uh, that I would not see as being put under public discipline. At our church, uh, we would publicly remove someone's membership only under extreme measures to try to win someone back to the faith and to protect the rest of the church. So it helps sometimes when, when people in the church actually know that we take sin really, really seriously. Okay, And I would also say this about your uh, pornography issue that you had, um, and I hope you would agree with me on this, that maybe the church could have or should have done something a little bit differently, but ultimately the blame of that sin lays on you. It's not on the pastor, it's not on the church. That doesn't mean they couldn't have done something better, as I said, but ultimately we cannot blame others for what we do. Okay? All right. This has been Ask. Hopefully it's been helpful, and if you would leave your questions at cornerstonebb.org, We will answer them hopefully in a future episode. In the meantime, we'll see you at worship this weekend and maybe before that. uh, If you don't own own a church, hopefully you don't own a church. If you don't belong to a church or have a church family, we'd love for you if you're in our area to come check us out Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 11. Don't forget to to like and share all of these so other people can get a chance to view these as well. God bless. Talk to you soon.